All right. Y'all ready? We're about to get prosperous today. We're about to get very, very prosperous today. So we've been talking about uh, toxic Jesus, right? Giving up toxic, toxic Jesus for Lent. And today we're focusing on prosperity Jesus or the prosperity gospel. Oh, we've already got some claps for that. Great. I love it. So I don't know if you've noticed, I put on my most prosperous outfit today, okay? I've got, I've got the high tops. You know, this is classic for, you know, prosperous preachers. Unfortunately, I don't know if you can tell, it's kind of broken in the back. God forgive me, right? I've got on my uh, fancy Rolex watch. You guys can see that in there. Can you, uh, can you confirm that's a Rolex? Now, 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 do you notice anything about it, though? It doesn't work. Oh. It's, uh, it's fake. It's fake. Got it in Chinatown when I was about 20 in New York City. God forgive me. I also wanted to uh, fly in on a helicopter today, but Janelle said we didn't have it in the budget. So <laughs> apparently we are not really getting this right, this prosperity gospel right. So I figured um, I'd up the stakes. I found the best quotes ever to get us all in this mindset. So ready? You are created in the image of God to create wealth. There's no reason for you to live in poverty. It's time for you to prosper. No? All right, let's try this one. If you give, you will be blessed. Your giving activates your faith and releases God's divine favor and supernatural abundance in your life. Woo! Lastly, when you give, you open the doors for God to bless you in ways you can't even imagine. He will increase you beyond your wildest dreams. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, so you guys are kind of into it? I was expecting, I was expecting booze, to be honest. I was, I was hoping for more from you all. But the prosperity gospel, right, we all know what this is in a sense. It's this theological belief that teaches that uh, wealth and abundance and success come to you because of God's divine favor, God's pleasure with you. Now, the thing is, that means that you have to do something good, right, for God to give that to you. You have to give in the right way, and God will give you the right things. But if you don't give in the right way, then God is going to be very displeased with you, right? So this concept uh, came about in the 19th century, early 20th century. It gained steam in the 1950s in the United States. And it's easy to kind of laugh about it, right? But let's be honest, isn't it kind of alluring a little bit? Don't we all want to be prosperous in a little bit? Yeah, right? We're all shaking our heads, yeah? Don't we want to feel like ah, we have this illusion of control? That if we do the right thing, that if we pray in the right way, that if we put in some kind of spiritual input, we'll get the right spiritual, physical output, right? Don't we all want to have a sense of, of hope uh, when we're suffering and things aren't going well? Right? These are all the things that make this so alluring. Not only that, but we live in the American dream. Right? America was built on this idea of rugged individualism. 
right? Rugged individualism where your success equals your ability to do something better. And we also live in a capitalistic society where basically the goal of society is your individual efforts produce wealth, produce growth, etc. So there's a lot of things working against us, right? So as easy it is, as it is to joke about this, I also kind of want to take it seriously in the fact that what is relevant to us today, right? How, how does this actually speak to us? So I think the most dangerous thing about this is it espouses this belief that there's a transactional relationship with God, right? That we're some kind of transactional being with God where God is this cosmic vending machine, right? You put in the right token and you get the right thing out. But let's go to these quotes, these next quotes, which I think you might like a little better. So from William Barber II, who is a disciples uh, pastor and activist, he says, the, prosper the prosperity gospel is a spiritual disease that reduces God to a go cosmic slot machine and elevates self-interest above the common good. Or as Dr. Jacqueline Lewis said, it's a toxic theology that perverts the message of Jesus and oppresses the poor and marginalized. Amen. Amen. Now we could just end it there, right? And that'd be great. <laughs> but the problem is, is I, I uh, sometimes feel it's easy to make fun of this stuff, but then you got to provide something better, right? You got to provide a vision for something better than what has been historically abused by the church. So that's what we're going to do, because I think Jesus has a much better vision for us. And the first thing is, is that the reason I think this works is because it preys on our individualistic self-interest. It preys on that hyper-individualized vision that sometimes is easy for us to fall into. Right, because there's nothing wrong with like bettering yourself as an individual, but when it's like hyper exposed and blown up, then our efforts often come at the expense of oppressing someone else or keeping the status quo the way it is and not actually addressing what's really real. And what happens is, is that really only benefits a few, right? And now the reality is, is that this was actually really prevalent in Jesus's day as well. So in Jesus's day, we have a very, very interesting passage where he's in Jerusalem with his disciples and he's uh, walking the streets. And all of a sudden, let's go to that real quick. They come upon a blind man who's been blind since birth. And if we can go to that. The disciples, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus looks at them and he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. So you have to understand, in first century Rome, this idea that God's 
divine pleasure meant you were wealthy was a very prevalent idea as well. So first century Rome, you had about uh, 90% of the people were dirt poor. Literally, they did not know if they were going to make it day by day. That's why when we say in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that was a literal reality. Like, are we going to get enough bread to live today? 90%. 3%, the other 3% were the Romans, the wealthy, but there was no middle class. There was no middle class that we experience today. So what happened is, is that the Jewish and the religious authorities of that time with the Roman Empire used this kind of thinking to subjugate, to oppress, to keep people exactly where they wanted them to be. And the way that they did that was they used this belief that if you're blessed, you have God's divine pleasure. You're obedient to the Torah. If you're not blessed, then you are displeasurable to God, and it's something you did or your parents did. Right? So that's what we see in this passage when the disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're not being jerks. They're not being mean. They're not being cruel. That's literally just the way they thought. They see this guy, and they're like, oh, yeah, someone must have sinned. So what happened, Jesus? What went wrong here? And in one little phrase, Jesus says, neither this man sinned nor his parents. He completely starts to flip the script, right? He completely obliterates this idea that if you're doing something good, God's going to bless you. If you're doing something wrong, God's going to not bless you. And he changes the whole paradigm. And what does he do? He tells them the reason this man has been suffering is because there's an opportunity for us to do something about it. So Jesus says suffering is our opportunity for God's work to be revealed. He's not saying God caused it, right? He's saying suffering exists in the world, yes, and this is our opportunity to do something. And what does he do? You all know, what does he do to the man? He heals him, right? See, so often, aren't we focused on the why of someone's suffering instead of the healing that they need, right? This literally happened to me, uh, what, two nights ago? Was it Thursday we went to the grocery store? Yeah, Thursday we went to the grocery store. We were wanting some sweeties. That's what we call it. You know, when you have a hard week, you just want some sweeties, something nice to eat, something sweet, you know. And we go to the grocery store. It's late at night. It's pouring down rain. So, you know, we hurry in the grocery store. We get in there. We get our donuts or what? No, what did we get? Ice cream. Yeah, we were debating between brownies and ice cream. Ice cream won out. Multiple things. Yeah, so we get to the checkout. It was a tough week. We need multiple sweets. <laughs> we get to the checkout, and I see someone from the food bank that I recognize. And I know that this man is experiencing homelessness. And I see him, and I'm like, oh, man, this is great. You know, I'm thinking about this sermon, right? So whenever you're thinking about sermons like this, you want to be, like, extra good for God, you know? <laughs> Just to really make sure, like, you, you can be authentic when you're preaching. 
That's why I hate preaching sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, so we see this man. I'm like, babe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stay here. I'm going to pay for him. I'm like, hey, would you mind if I got that for him? He's like, oh, thank you. God bless. God bless you. Thank you. I'm like, yeah, no problem. You know, I feel great. Fancy credit card in there. All right, yeah, thanks. We'll see you later, okay? Start walking out. And uh, we got outside. And I just look outside. And it's pouring down rain just pouring and it's cold and it's dark and he kind of comes out behind me and he kind of looks at me and he kind of waves and both our hearts just dropped you know because it was like man he's gonna be out here in the cold in the rain part of me wants to invite him to my house but I've done that before and it didn't go well and so I know how to have boundaries too right but this is the point of the story here we get home we open up the garage door, drive into our nice house, protected in the, you know, free from the rain. And I say to her, my wife, this is sort of the last thing I said as we were talking about it. I said, yeah, it's so sad because he's an alcoholic. So sad because he's an alcoholic. And I didn't realize it until like a couple days ago, just like these disciples. Jesus, why is this man blind? Jesus, what did he do? What did his parents do? Right? Yeah, it's so sad because he's alcoholic. You know what's really sad about that? I don't even know if that's true. And my wife, my wife said, yeah, that just means he needs more help. Not in an accusing way or anything like that. And I was like, damn, you should be up here preaching. <laughs> Shit. Sorry, I just cursed on, you know, sermon. That's something I do. But the point is, I think the, um, the scariest thing about that, the, the real deep truth about this concept is that we want a why because it justifies our inaction. We want a why. Because deep down, if it's his fault, then it's not mine. Deep down... If it's something that he can't fix, then I can't fix it either, right? And so it justifies the vulnerability, the, the scariness of actually what it would look like to end homelessness, right? But um, I need healed from that. We need healed from that, whatever your version is, because that's not the gospel. Right? The gospel looks at the blind man and says, yeah, no, he's blind, but uh, I'm going to heal him. Yeah, he might be an alcoholic, but uh, we're going to figure it out. The gospel doesn't sit in the why. It moves towards something else. And I think the gospel actually has a vision for what that might look like, because I think the disciples end up being healed, too. So we find this in Acts, if we can go to that. Acts 2, 44-45. So we've read this passage a lot. It's one of our favorites for a good reason. You know, Jesus has died. He's, he's gone. The disciples are forming a new community. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. All these amazing things are happening. And it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. 
So these disciples, who just a little bit ago, right, were walking the streets of Jerusalem, saw a blind man, said, oh, what happened? Whose fault is this, right? All of a sudden, they're this transformed community where everyone has what they need. No one is without anything. Some in that community had way more, some had way less, but everyone had what they need. And this is a different kind of prosperity that I think Jesus was after. Because here's the other really confusing thing about all this. Prosperity isn't a bad word, right? Prosperity isn't a bad thing. Jesus healing people, Jesus, you know, making communities out of nothing, giving bread, giving food. That's prosperity for those people, right? Jesus wanted to liberate the people he was among to help everyone experience a different kind of living. And I think Jesus provides a liberating vision of collective prosperity that prioritizes the well-being of all. Collective prosperity. How's that sound? Do you guys like that phrase? Collective prosperity, right? It's a little different, right? Collective prosperity prioritizes everyone. It's where the success is not measured just on an individual's ability to produce or be wealthy or succeed, but by the well-being of all everyone. And this is a kind of prosperity that I believe is a true manifestation of God. The true manifestation of God's love, the divine principle of love and justice, a spiritual vision stretching beyond any economic or political concept, but rooted in compassion, justice, love, and the ethics of Christ. That's something that excites me. But the reality is, that kind of prosperity cannot happen just by me, just by you. It requires a community, right? And I think we're kind of doing that here, right? Collective prosperity prioritizes inclusion. Look around, right? We prioritize that here in our Sunday gatherings. That's one of the biggest things we are after. It prioritizes that the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed get what they need. That's what we attempt to do with our food pantry. It prioritizes civil action. It prioritizes using our vote in a way that actually prioritizes the people who need it most. That's what Justice Works is all about. It prioritizes the well-being of all. There's so many different things we're doing here, and there's so many more we could step into. Because again, this is about God's work being revealed. For God's works to be displayed. So I want to just leave you with two questions. And I really want you to think about this and really 
you know, not beat yourself up about it, obviously, but just take a, take a deep look. And number one is what notions of individual prosperity are you leaning a little too hard into, right? Think about that this week. What notions of individual prosperity have I just bought a little too into? Like for me, right? And that story of that man. And number two, how can you pour into and experience collective prosperity? What's a way that you can pour into that? Or even if it's just a mindset shift, what's a way you can pour into that? Because this gospel, this prosperity gospel, has been widely abused in the name of Jesus. That is not the gospel, and we're giving it up. Because Jesus knew that true prosperity cannot be achieved by pursuing self-interest alone, but rather by seeking the common good and flourishing of all. So that's what I want to work towards with you, the flourishing of all, a reflection of God's love and care for the world. That's the kind of prosperity I think Jesus would be for. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Ah, Lord, hmm. thank you. Thank you for these people. Thank you that we can talk about this and not get run out of the church. God, thank you for the prosperity we already have. God, let that be enough. Let that be enough. Let us open our eyes and see who needs help, who needs our support. Help us pour into this vision of collective prosperity so that we can all experience life the way you intended us to, that we may all flourish and live beautiful lives created in your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a great job Katrina did, huh? All three, uh, all three musicians. And I don't know if you caught it in the second song, the drummer was singing fabulous harmonies. I was like, where's that coming from? Because I was over there, I couldn't see. And I stretched my neck out. The drummer's singing, I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. If I ever do comedy, I'll bring you with me. So my name is Bob. I've been uh, um, coming here for, I guess, three years, four years, four years. Uh, and um, uh, it's just great to get more and more involved as time goes. Community groups are underway. These are like meetings in homes and in bars and in, you know, just where outside of church and outside of Sunday people are getting together to talk not only about Jesus but about inclusion uh, and about social justice. And um, yeah, those are the three main things. It's, it's, a, it's a safe space just like this is on, on Sunday and you should uh, consider getting involved.
Um, also, volunteers, um, there are many needed here as this uh, sanctuary grows. Um, there are welcoming people that are needed, uh, slides and audio in the back of the room, uh, Sunday school, uh, music ministry. So um, you can uh, jump on the website to get involved. You can talk to somebody. That's even easier. And say, how can I help here or there? That would be terrific. Book club, uh, it happens, let's see. The April book is Welcoming to the Stranger Justice, Compassion, and Truth in the Immigration Debate by Matthew Sorens, Jenny Yang, and Leith Anderson. This is every first Thursday of the month, so April 6th is coming up. And uh, you can jump on the website to get details on how you can be part of that Zoom. It's April 6th at 6.30 p.m. And uh, if you want any details or like a two-way conversation, in addition to talking to somebody here, there are those connect cards on the clipboards. Um, and you can deposit them, like give them to somebody or put them in the collection boxes. Collection boxes are good that you can put money in that too if you'd like it's a 501c3 uh, you can go on the website of course to give uh, monthly that's the way we choose to do it so we don't mess up and forget um, so that's a great thing you know obviously this is a 501c3 and, and certainly needs all of our help so I was thinking about um, prosperity Jesus and the things that uh, Alex was talking about today and it, it actually made me think of a really good friend of mine. He is a great guy. And when we uh, have dinner at his house or at our house, um, he usually leads the prayer before the dinner. And he always talks about prosperity. And I, I love this guy. But I know he means the prosperity only of the people at the table. And I love the guy. It's not He's well-meaning. But... Yeah, I think what Alex said is right. And it always bothered me a little bit, and I didn't really know why. But a collective prosperity, that's a good thing. So thank you, Alex, for that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. May the peace of God be with you all.